all too often when we look at the downside, we look at the struggles, but we fail to consider the blessings of the past year. And if we remember the blessings, it helps us to remember that God is good, that God loves us, he is a kind God. And so never forget the blessings. We also look at the decisions that affected us and the decisions that affected others as well. You know, there are things that we do that matter only in our lives, but there are things that we do that matter in the lives of others. And there are things that people do that matter in their lives and in our lives. And New Year's Day is a time to reflect back on that. What happened during this year? What kind of decisions did we make? Were they good ones? Were they bad ones? Did they really have that much of an effect? And if you're like me, there are things that you wish you could have decided differently, things that you wish you could have done differently, things that you wish would have happened differently. But God is sovereign. God causes all things to happen for good to those who love him. So we can't look back and rue the decisions. We can't look back and, and wish they were different. We can learn from them. We can learn from the good and the bad decisions. And the New Year's Day is a time that we consider what lies ahead for us. We look ahead to what's going on in 2015. How will the world be? How will our community be? How will our families be? Are there births expected? Is someone in ill health? Perhaps a new job is starting or a job is ending. There's all kinds of things that lie in front of us for the new year. And like the old year, we make decisions. We will be making decisions that will affect us and others around us. Now, some of the decisions we make will affect us in the near future. They may affect us next week. They may affect us next month. They may affect us throughout the year. But some decisions that we make, like the decision to follow Christ, will affect us for all eternity. This morning, I hope to convince you of the need to make a decision that has both a near effect in the near future and an eternal effect, one that will affect you for all eternity. See, I want to urge you today to decide to seek spiritual discernment or spiritual wisdom. My goal is that you will want to seek the wisdom of God, that you will want to learn his word, that you'll see the value in it. Just as William was reading, the, the passage from Psalm 119, the riches of God's word. So that's what I hope that you'll decide today. So we're gonna talk about God's wisdom. We're gonna talk about spiritual discernment. And the first thing we need to do whenever we talk about a term is we have to define that term. What do we mean by discernment? Well, the dictionary definition is discernment is the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. The ability to grasp and comprehend what is obscure. But you know, I find this an insufficient definition for our purposes. You see, we discern things differently and in many different ways. For example, there's a discerning eye. A discerning eye can pick the real jewelry from the fake jewelry. It can see the real diamonds versus the cubic zirconium, versus the, the, the plastic stuff. A discerning eye can look at art and determine what is a masterpiece and what isn't. 
Now I have to admit I don't have much of a discerning eye when it comes to art. There are some things that look like a three-year-old got into the chocolate pudding and that's about the best I can do. A discerning eye is able to distinguish quality, able to see the real Rolex from the fake Rolex, to know whether it's a real coach purse or a knockoff. (laughs) Then there's discerning taste. There's taste in fashion, in style and accessories. We know people that dress well. They have a discerning, discerning taste when it comes to fashion. Now I have to admit I don't have one of those. My beautiful wife has informed me that the only taste I have is in women. (laughs) And I leave the rest to her. I don't buy things for the house. I don't buy clothing for her. I don't buy jewelry. That's just the way it is. Um, When I leave the house, I have to have the approval of at least one female in the household for what I'm wearing. Um, That's just the way it is. There's discerning taste when it comes to food. Um, I like things spicy. And I can discern if something's not spicy or really spicy or really good spicy. Um, Others have a discerning taste when it comes to to fine foods and to to delicacies and gourmet food. I'm a hamburger, hot dog kind of guy. Tacos, quesadillas, I'm good. Guess I'm not real discerning. (laughs) There's discerning taste in music. I'm a child of the 70s. That's when my teen years were there. I'm dating myself. But you should see my daughters roll their eyes when they listen to some of the music that I play because it's back in the 70s. I am an anachronism, but I like some of that stuff. I'm not going to go back and tell you my favorite uh, uh, recording artist because all you'll do is laugh along with them. There's a guy named Tim Challies. He has a website called challies.com. He writes a, a blog. He wrote a book called The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment. He says there is a great deal of disagreement about how to define discernment. I guess so because he devotes a whole chapter in his book to just defining the term discernment. Webster's has a line that big. He's got a whole chapter. He comes up with this definition. He says discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error. The skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error. And you know, he's got a good starting point. That's a good starting point for understanding what discernment is. But I think it stops short of defining spiritual discernment. John Carson, some of you know him, he came to our our church last year and, and um, did a, marriage, a mini marriage conference with us. He's a pastor at Rockville Bible Church up by Fairfield. He has a better definition of spiritual discernment, and I really like what he writes. He says that spiritual discernment is the divinely given ability to distinguish God's thoughts and ways from all other thoughts and ways. Listen to that again. The divinely given ability to distinguish God's thoughts and ways from all other thoughts and ways. You see, true discernment is not just an ability, but it's a divinely given ability. It comes from God, and this is an important distinction. You see, if we are to discern spiritual matters, we cannot rely on ourselves. It doesn't matter how well we're taught. If we're to discern spiritual matters, we can't rely on ourselves. 
1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, in our sinful states, we can't understand. We can't discern the right and the wrong, the evil and the truth, the sin. It's all folly to people except for the Spirit of God. We don't understand these things because they're spiritually discerned. See, we can only discern spiritual matters through the understanding given by the Holy Spirit. It is he who gives us understanding. Isaiah 11, 2. Tells us that the Spirit of God shall rest upon him. That's Jesus. And, he des- and it describes the, Isaiah describes the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Think about that the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Wisdom comes from God. It doesn't come from man. In 1 Kings 3 and 4, God grants wisdom and understanding to Solomon. Solomon asked for it and God granted it. It didn't come from inside Solomon. It was divinely given. In Psalm 51, David writes that God teaches him wisdom. He doesn't say, I came upon it by myself. It was God who teaches him. Proverbs 2.6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom comes from God. In Luke, Jesus told his disciples that their understanding of his parables was given them by God. Paul tells us that it is God who gives wisdom. He tells us this in 1 Corinthians. He tells us this in Ephesians. He tells us this in Colossians. James tells us that God gives wisdom. And John says the same thing in 1 John. Now sometimes we think about man's wisdom. There are wise people among us, are there not? People who seem to have an insight into things. But you see, man's wisdom is no substitute for the wisdom given by God. We look in Job 28, verses 12 and 13. Listen to what Job says. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. Wisdom is not found in the land of the living. True wisdom is not found among men. Now, if you want to get an even better grasp of the wisdom of God, and you want to see how puny man is, and how magnificent, how wonderful, how marvelous, how infinite, how powerful, how wise God is, just read Job chapters 38 through 41. If that does not humble you, you have a problem. This is where God speaks to Job and tells him, who he is, and asks Job and challenges Job to do the things that God has done. 
And so read those chapters, Job 38 to 41. True discernment, spiritual discernment then, comes from God. It doesn't come from man. Now you may say, well that's all well and good, Jeff, but why do I need spiritual discernment? What's the point? Well, let's look at that. Why do you need spiritual discernment? In Proverbs 7, we read of a youth. He's described as simple and lacking sense. He is persuaded by the words of an adulteress. You see, she lures him into her home while her husband is away. And she convinces him to join her in her sin. This simple young man who lacks sense succumbs and falls victim to her enticements. But see, what the Bible tells us is he becomes like an animal. He's caught in a trap because her house is the way of death. See, people who try to live without spiritual discernment are like that young man. Well, they search for this good feeling. They want to be happy. They want to have great self-esteem. They want to have a good self-image. They think it's wonderful, if all, the, all the things that they're hearing about there. Love yourself. Do your own thing. They follow all these popular notions of how to live, how to be happy, how to get to heaven. Some of them even claim to be spiritual. They look at metaphysical stuff. They do chanting. They meditate. They do all kinds of things to make themselves feel better. You see, they want to feel good. And so this is what they do. They're searching for these things. Look at some of the titles of bestsellers we have out there. One of those is What I Know For Sure by that great philosopher and theologian, Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Oprah, if you've ever followed her during the, the course of her, her TV programs and all that, knew that the answer to everything was the secret. All you had to do was think good thoughts. If you think the bad things, the bad things will happen. If you think the good things, the good things will happen. That's it. That's the secret to life. Oh, but then she went to Deepak Chopra. Oh, but first she was a Christian. But now she knows something for sure. I'm not sure that Oprah is sure what she's going to be sure about in the future. <laughs> but that's what she knows for sure right now. But if you don't want to hear it from Oprah, just back up the calendar a little bit and consider what Robert Fulgham said. All I need to know, I learned in kindergarten. Go find yourself a five-year-old, and there you have the wisdom of the ages. All you need to know, you learned in kindergarten. Be nice, play nice, share. All these things to get along. But you know, if Oprah's too sophisticated for you, and the kindergarten student is too sophisticated for you, you can check out this title. Really important stuff my dog has taught me. I'm not kidding, this is on the bestseller list. Really important stuff my dog has taught me. If you read the, read the um, comments on Amazon, you think this was the next greatest thing that's out there. Dogs teach us how to behave. I mean, forget the wisdom of man, let's get the wisdom of dogs. You see, all these people that search for these things, they look for the ways to live, they look for the truth. They have no discernment and like that young man, they're on the path to death. See, Proverbs 16.25 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. See, all these things point away from Christ. 
All of these things deny the existence of God. All these things turn us away from biblical truth. This is the way of death. All these people out searching, all these people out falling prey to so many different things. Sadly, this applies to many in the church. You see, there is a proliferation of false doctrine and teaching that abounds out there. Paul warned us in 2 Timothy 2.4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Does that sound like the church today? Let me give you some examples of that. I want you to consider the teaching that's out there. Let's look at the prosperity gospels. Let's just take, for example, Joel Osteen. And I told Scott today I was going to name names. <laughs> so I'm naming names. We're going to look at Joel Osteen. Now, his books are very popular among Christians. You go to christianbook.com, they're bestsellers. You can find them in audiobooks. You can find them in, in um, uh, print books. You can find them in electronic books. He's got books out there called Your Best Life Now. Oh, I hope not. Become a Better You. And I declare, there's a whole bunch of titles. And like I said, you can go buy them on christianbook.com. Don't do it. Don't buy those. You see, he preaches a gospel that is not the gospel. He has a man-centered view. It's all about us. God serving us. God giving us what we want. We just have to be faithful about it. God is there to make us healthy and wealthy and happy. We just have to tap into it with our faith and God will grant it to us. He wants us to be successful. If we concern ourselves with the negative things, then we won't get there. But if we have faith that if we say it, if we speak it, if we believe it, it'll happen to us. We'll get healthier. We'll get jobs. We'll feel better. Our relationships will heal. We'll have time to do things. We'll be at peace. All these things just need to have faith. But you see, Joel Osteen doesn't preach on sin. He doesn't preach on the wrath of God. He doesn't preach on death. He doesn't preach on atonement. He doesn't preach on salvation. If you listen to Joel Osteen, if you read his books, if you watch him on TV, you get no closer to Christ than listening to anybody else, to listening to popular psychology and, and popular uh, motivation speakers. You see, he says he wants people to be lifted up. He doesn't want to talk about those things that drag people down. Or you want to talk about sin, it makes people feel bad. You want to talk about God being mad, eh, it makes you feel bad. Let's just talk about all the good things. Let's not talk about judgment. Let's not talk about the results of our evil, the consequences. Let's just talk about good stuff. He preaches on having a good self-image. That's paramount. Gotta have a good self-image. God loves me. I'm worth it. God wants to pour everything into me. Me, 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 me. And to do so, he'll sound kind of Christianese because he'll take verses out of context. He'll use Old Testament verses that were never meant to apply to people today. They were meant to apply to ancient Israel. But he'll use them as evidence of the work God's going to do for us. But you see, Christians like his message. And they're fooled. 
Well, then there's the universalists. Universalist is one who says that everybody gets to heaven. All paths lead to God. Now I have to tell you, and, and, and listen carefully, and don't take me out of context here, I agree that all paths lead to God. All but one of them end in judgment. Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins, and he says that Jesus alone is saving everybody. Okay? Not saving everybody. He leaves the door way, way open. Okay, is that suspicious to anybody? Jesus is creating all sorts of possibilities. No, there's, there's one. There is one way. And he is as narrow as himself and as wide as the universe. Any, any question why we call them universalists? Because they believe that it doesn't matter what you believe in. It doesn't matter what faith. You don't have to call Jesus by Jesus. You can call him Allah or Buddha or anything you want because you're gonna get to heaven eventually. You're gonna get there because God is love. And love wins. Love trumps God's wrath. Love trumps death and hell. Well, love does. It's through Jesus Christ. That's what trumps death and hell. Jesus is the one who wins in the end. It is not us and our sin. It is not us being, our sin being ignored by God. Because you see, if God ignored our sin, then he wouldn't be a just God. But justice was done. Jesus Christ died for our sins. The penalty of sin was paid. There are those who teach a different Jesus. There's lots of different Jesuses out there. I'm not gonna look at Jehovah's Witness or, or, or Church of Latter-day Saints. They preach a different Jesus. But I'm gonna look more at the mainstream, what we call mainstream Protestant Christianity. One of those who teaches a different Jesus is T.D. Jakes. You've heard of him. He's the one that produced the movie Heaven, uh, uh, Heaven is for Real. He's got a bunch of books out there. T.D. Jakes is what's called a modalist. A modalist is one who says that, who, who, who gives a, a pseudo-trinity doctrine. He says, oh yeah, there's, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but God manifests himself in one of these one at a time. If he's God manifesting as God the Father, he's not being manifested as God the Son and not God the Holy Spirit. If he's manifested as God the Son, then he's not being manifested as God the Father or God the Holy Spirit, and likewise with the Holy Spirit. You see, this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that God is only one God at a time. There is one God in three persons, and they exist together eternally, not individually, not one at a time. Then there are the Christian psychologists that are out there. We'll take, for example, Larry Crabb. Larry Crabb claims that Christian counselors who believe the Bible is a sufficient guide for counseling are frequently guilty of a non-thinking and simplistic understanding of life and its problems. Okay, listen to that one again. Christian counselors who believe the Bible is a sufficient guide for counseling are frequently guilty of a non-thinking and simplistic understanding of life and its problems. You catch that? He denies the sufficiency of scripture. The Bible is not enough. 
If you believe that, you're, you're, you're simplistic. You don't have a, a complete understanding of life and the problems it faces. You need more than the Bible. But this is a Christian psychologist. You could find his books on the shelf. You can find instances of extra biblical revelations. There's a book called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, and it's popular right now. It's one of the best sellers, and it's got devotionals. It's got all kinds of things out there, all kinds of different styles you can buy it in. See, Sarah Young writes that she receives personal messages from God as she meditates on him. Personal messages from God. And rather than draw from the Bible and her devotions, she shares her messages, an extra biblical revelation. She brings these messages to her readers. She's not focusing on the scripture, she's focusing on what Jesus is telling her in his presence with her, with her revelations there. Now, how many of you have heard of Todd Burpo and Don Piper? There's many others like these. These are the ones that report on other experience, others' experiences in heaven or their own experiences in heaven. Don Piper wrote a book about being in heaven. Todd Burpo wrote the one that was Heaven is for Real based on discussions with his son. They made a movie out of that one and there's a best-selling book called Heaven is for Real. You see, this is based on the words of Colton Burpo who was age four when he died and went to heaven and came back. The stories that are told actually occurred six to seven years before they were written down. So here you have Todd Burpo, who's a pastor, writing account from memory six to seven years old and claiming that his son knew things he couldn't have known and this is evidence that heaven is for real. You know what's surprisingly missing from all these different heaven experiences? The reliance on Jesus Christ for salvation. Heaven's a great place. You're going to meet your relatives. You're going to meet people there and it's wonderful. It's all this stuff. Oh, we'll see Jesus there. But somehow, Jesus is the only way fails to make it in a lot of these accounts. Remember the story of Lazarus and the rich man? The rich man who was separated from Lazarus by a chasm was suffering in the fire and he wanted Lazarus to go back and tell his family, hey look, there is a hell. You've gotta go back and tell my relatives they'll believe. And what was he told? Now, they've, got, they've got the prophets, they got Moses. If they don't believe them, they're not gonna believe someone coming back from the dead. We've got Moses and we've got the prophets. We've got Jesus Christ. We've got the Old and the New Testament. We don't need someone whose spurious account of heaven to convince us about heaven. The only biblical example of someone going to heaven and coming back was Paul. And interestingly, he was forbidden to tell us what was there. He wasn't gonna boast about it. He was prevented from it by the Holy Spirit. But you know, people today take hope in these accounts. They look to people who have supposedly have died, gone to heaven and then returned, and they place their hope and their faith in that rather than placing their hope and faith in the creator of heaven. I don't know about you, but my faith in heaven is not on a four-year-old. Okay? Everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten does not apply here. 
My faith is in the one who created heaven, who tells us in his word what it is like. Now these are all the, the nonfiction books. There's fiction books we have to watch out for too. How many of you have heard of the book The Shack by William Young? That was a big bestseller a few years ago. And it stirred quite a controversy. Well, in the shack, you find a false and heretical view, a portrayal of God. It's actually blasphemous. And if you read that book, you get a universalist view of salvation as well. God is love. Everyone gets to heaven. You just have to, to believe. Just believe in God. You'll get to heaven. We have to ask how many of our brothers and sisters are being misled by their lack of discernment. You see, a lack of discernment, a lack of true spiritual discernment gives us a complacency. But Proverbs 132 tells us the complacency of fools destroys them. Peter tells us, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. See, anyone incapable of discerning spiritual truth, of discerning the truth from a lie, right from wrong, is easy prey for the devil. And many of our brothers and sisters fall to this. You see, Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. And he disguises himself as an angel of light. Just enough little truth, it sounds good, to get us to fall for that. See, we need spiritual discernment if we're to recognize these false teachers among us. Now, if you agree that we need the spiritual discernment, your next question then would be, how do I get it? Well, thank you for asking. Let's look to Proverbs chapter three. We're gonna look at verses 13 through 15. Proverbs 3, 13 to 15. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. The gain from her is better than silver and her profit better than gold. Yesterday, the market price for silver was $16.08 per ounce. The market price for gold was $1,196 per ounce. But the gain from wisdom is better than silver and profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Now the value of gemstones is based upon the four C's, clarity, color, carrot, and cut. If you look on the internet, you can find that some very small gems command thousands of dollars if you want to buy them. Now see, what's common with each of these things is you have to mine them from the depths of the earth. You see, silver, gold, and jewels, they're not just lying around where it's easy to pick up or we'd all be rich. You gotta dig for them, you gotta dig deep for them, you gotta put effort into it. You see, if they were just lying around, they wouldn't be precious. Anyone could get them. They'd be just as common as sand. But because they're hard to get, because it takes so much to get silver and takes so much to get gold and takes so much to get these jewels, they're precious, they're valuable. But wisdom is even more valuable. 
Proverbs 3.15 says, nothing you desire can compare with her. Oh, we may like silver, we may like gold, we may like jewels, but wisdom is better. Proverbs 16.16 16 says that it's better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. You don't get spiritual discernment without looking for it. And you must seek it for the treasure it is. So mine it like gold, like silver. This requires you to set aside time and effort. In order to obtain it, you have to devote yourself to it. You must set time to read and study your Bible. Look with me at Proverbs 6. Just turn a couple pages over. Proverbs 6, 9 and through 11. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. See, this is a warning against laziness. Unless the sluggard rises from his slumber, he'll find himself poverty-stricken. See, the one who is lazy when it comes to seeking wisdom will similarly find himself poor in spiritual matters. Your poverty will come upon you. So we are to seek wisdom. We're to go and make an effort to get it. Now we can look in different places. I like Chinese food. I didn't when I was a kid, but I like it now. And one of the neat things about Chinese food is you get a, you get a fortune cookie at the end. And we all make fun of the fortune cookies and all that. I always have a, a, a ball looking at them because they're just, they're just funny sometimes. So I got a fortune one time that I, I saved because I knew it would come up, and it did. My fortune said, look to your inner being for guidance. Really. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Hmm. Guess we won't be using that one. Well, maybe I can trust my heart, right? I mean, if, if, I know it in my heart. I feel it in my heart. I know this, right? Hmm. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay, if you can't trust your own mind and you can't trust your own heart, where do you go? Well, you can't go to another person, another human, because they've got minds and hearts and they're just as untrustworthy and just as deceitful as your own. You see, they offer man-made wisdom. Their wisdom comes from foolish minds and deceitful hearts and this is why we don't listen to the pundits and the professors because it's all man-made. It doesn't come from God. The simple and most straightforward answer to the question of how to get spiritual discernment, how to get wisdom, is to go to the Bible. Read your Bible. Now they say if you say it three times, it, it leaves an impression on people. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. In Deuteronomy 11, 18 and 19, God commands his people to lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You see, we're to teach them to our children, to talk of them while sitting, while walking, and when we lie down, and when we rise up. Pretty much all the time, we're to think about God's word. As I mentioned, William read to us from Psalm 119. The whole psalm, all 176 verses, relate to God's word. 
It's about the value of God's law, his written word, how precious it is. Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. My last sermon we talked about, Psalm 32. We talked about intentional and unintentional sins. And the way to avoid unintentional sin is to know God's word. Psalm 119. Well, sadly today, in the church, many don't read their Bibles. You see, it's much easier to have someone else do the work of studying and interpreting. I don't have to read it. You'll tell me what it says. You'll tell me what it means. And I'll go away feeling good because I've got my little nugget of wisdom. Sometimes people prefer to read books on Christian living that are on the bookshelves. I'll go read one of these books. They'll tell me how I'm supposed to live. They'll make me feel warm and fuzzy. You see, they take these books as their guides. They don't take the Bible as their guides. They take these books from these popular authors. A Christian's behavior becomes a matter of completing a checklist. They want someone to tell them what to do. See, they want the do be and don't be sermons. Well, you know these. Do be like David. Don't be like Saul. Do be, don't be. And I've actually had someone come up to me and say, we need more sermons telling us what to do, how to behave. We need, we need more preaching like that. Just tell me what to do. Do you see the danger in that? If life's becoming just a matter of checklist, if being a Christian just means doing this behavior, let's see, be nice, got it. Give money, got it. Go to church, got it. Hey, I must be doing okay. You see, this leads to a salvation of works, not of faith. You're just going through the motions. And this is why we don't preach the do be, don't be sermons. We preach Christ. We don't preach how to live. We don't tell you to, if you want to be a good Christian, do these 10 things. We preach Christ. See, we don't want to fall into the, I must be okay if I just do what the pastor tells me to do. Mm, run from someone like that. See, when people don't read their Bibles, they're not prepared to challenge the wisdom of what they're told or what they read. They hear or read something that sounds right, even when it's not. And they merely accept without holding it up to the light of biblical truth. It sounds biblical, must be right. Oh, use Jesus, it's gotta be right. Joel Osteen uses Jesus, gotta be right. Contrast that with the Bereans. You see, they examined the scriptures daily. They wanted to see if what Paul and Silas preached to them was true. We want you, as your pastors, to do the same thing. Don't take our words for it. Read the scriptures. See if what we're telling you is true. And if you think it's not, then come up to us. Bring your Bibles with you, and let's open the word of God together. We might be wrong, or you might be wrong. But I cannot find any downside to two brothers or sisters in Christ sitting down, opening their Bibles, and looking at what God says about something. It's a beautiful thing. We learn in Hebrews that it takes constant practice of studying the scriptures to distinguish good from evil. Constant practice. You gotta stick with it. You gotta work hard at it. See, by studying your Bible, 
you would know that Joel Osteen's message of prosperity runs counter to what the Bible teaches. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. That's not what Joel will tell you. Oh no, life will be beautiful. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now you won't hear Joel tell you that either. Embrace your trials. God is working to perfect your faith. It produces steadfastness. And it'll have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. By studying your Bible, you would know that Rob Bell's universalism is not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those that enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Not as wide as the universe. Not all roads lead to heaven. By studying your Bible, you would know that the modalism of T.G. Jakes is refuted at the time of Jesus' baptism. We know the account in Mark 1, 10 through 11. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Godhead all in evidence in one event. Jesus the Son being baptized, coming out of the water. The Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and the voice of the Father in heaven. Not one at a time. All three. By studying your Bible, you would know that the claims by Christian psychologist Larry Crabb that the Bible is insufficient as a guide for counseling is contrary to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. By studying your Bible, you would know that the extra-biblical teaching of Sarah Young, Todd Burpo, and Don Piper is condemned in Deuteronomy 4.2, Deuteronomy 12.32, and Revelation 22.18 and 19. God tells us not to add to his word. There are no extra-biblical revelations. The canon of scripture is closed, and it is sufficient for our needs. There are no special words coming from on high. There are no special presences and special messages that only one person receives. It's all here. By studying your Bible, you would know that even works of fiction like the shack, they're dangerous and heretical. They're blasphemous descriptions of God. And the universalism presented in that is just a mere story. Now all this is not to say that there aren't some good books by some very solid Christian authors. And there are. We have some in the back. We read them in seminary. I hope you're reading them. But how would you know they're good if you don't have spiritual discernment? How would you know? The way you know is to read your Bible. Now Steve mentioned earlier during announcements there are reading plans in the back. And I hope you take one of those with you. And there's, there's, I think there's four or five different types out there. There's even a sheet on there that has reading plans for your cell phone. You can download reading plans and have them with you. Reading plans that take you through the whole year. You read a lot, you read a little. Some are more ambitious than others. But read your Bible. There are risks and benefits to gaining 
or not gaining spiritual discernment. You know, it's a real sad thing to hear God's people say things like, I know what the Bible says, but, or you're trying to handle this biblically, but this is the real world. Well, whenever we pastors hear that, our hearts break. If you're gonna go for spiritual discernment, you have to believe the Bible. The Bible is sufficient. The Bible is a source. It gives you wisdom. Study it. But it does you no good if you study it and then disregard it. The risks of rejecting wisdom are many. Proverbs tells us that those who turn their backs to gaining wisdom face calamity, terror, distress, anguish, and disgrace. People suffering from addictions, depression, anxiety, fear, and panic, or who seek to follow the real world rather than the Bible, are doomed to continue in their suffering. Proverbs tells us they bring injury to themselves. They subject themselves to the prospect of death and hell. And they become slaves to sin with both physical and spiritual consequences. It's easy to say, I have an addiction, it's a disease. It's not my fault. It's easy to say bad things were done to me, therefore I can act badly to other people because that's how it is. See, these are just excuses for sin. Sin of addiction to drugs or to alcohol or to anything else. It's slavery to sin. Acting badly because of something in your past is just sin. There's no excuse for it. The Bible doesn't say, love your neighbor unless your neighbor was mean to you. The Bible doesn't say, hate your enemy. Jesus said, love your enemy. But see, the gain from spiritual wisdom is striking in its contrast. Proverbs tells us that those who seek and obtain discernment will dwell securely without dread of disaster. They will understand righteousness and justice and equity. They will be delivered from evil and those who do evil, they will find peace. And when they lie down, they will not be afraid. So by now I hope I, you've been convinced of the need to seek spiritual discernment, of the need to seek wisdom. The way to obtain it is simple. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 31 says that man cannot know and therefore fear God through worldly wisdom. You can't get there from here. The world considers the gospel to be folly, but God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. You see, it is Jesus Christ upon who rests the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Would you be wise? Seek Jesus. The source of all spiritual wisdom and the one to whom all spiritual wisdom leads is Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.3 says that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Did you get that? 
If you're to mine for the wisdom that is more valuable than silver, more valuable than gold, more valuable than jewels, you must seek for them in Jesus Christ. In Luke 24, Jesus tells us that all of scripture is about him. Seek Christ. Mine for the wisdom of God. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. Study the scriptures. Fear God. Follow Jesus. And get wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God of infinite wisdom. And in your wisdom, you sent your Son to die for our sins. Father, I pray for those listening that they're urged to read their Bibles this new year, to mine the depths for what is more valuable than silver, more valuable than gold, more precious than jewels, that they come to know the true Jesus the living Jesus, the Savior. That through your spirit you equip them to discern the frauds, the fakes, the heretics, the false doctrines. Father, I pray your blessing on all of us. Father, draw us near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.